Hey everyone, it's Mike from BGN. Before the show starts, I wanted to quickly tell you about a very special new sponsor that we have at the network, Golden Goal Press. Now, I've intentionally been very selective about who we partner with as a network because I never want to advertise for someone that we don't think would benefit you personally. That's why Roughneck Scarves is and continues to be a great sponsor as they've been able to outfit tons of supporters groups and organizations with amazing scarves. Golden Goal Press is unique because after researching tons of companies, we decided the best way to serve your needs directly is to create a new company that can work directly with you. Golden Gold Press helps you create custom shirts, hats, mugs, flags, literally the list of items can go on and on and we do it with a unique personal touch that provides you with the best products at a fraction of the cost of other print shops online. So the next time you're looking for one custom item or hundreds, please go check out goldengoldpress.com. As always, we appreciate your support and now on with the show. everyone and welcome to another episode of raising bulls brought to you by the beautiful game network and roughneck scarves we are the only podcast dedicated to the new york red bulls 2 of usl tonight we're going to talk about uh a lot not lopsided week but big victory over hartford midweek and then the first loss of the season uh, against loudon united on the weekend uh not not great uh, then we're going to be joined by everyone's favorite name in USL. It's Reese Buckmaster. And uh, then we're going to preview the match this weekend against Indy 11 with Brian Cook, also of the Beautiful Game Network. Um, if you have not read any of his stuff over there, it's very, very good, uh, particularly around the politics of the stadium issues in Indy. But we'll get to all that later. Joining me tonight for the first time in quite a while, I think, it's Joe Steen. Hello, Joe. How are you? Good, Joe. How are you? Good um, to be back. Uh, I know I've missed, uncharacteristically missed a uh, couple of shows this year, but uh, I'm back and happy to be back. Well, they're working you like a dog. I understand. <laughs> uh so let, let's jump into this. Let's talk about the Hartford match. Not a lot really to be learned here. Uh, Hartford came into the match winless uh, and defensively a mess. They went out of this match winless and defensively a mess. Uh, the team, I thought, performed really well on short rest. Sometimes integrating MLS players is a little bit tricky, but, you know, they really got the job done. Yeah, I think you have to get a lot of credit to John Wolniak on this game because, like you said, it is very hard to uh, rotate in MLS players, players coming from the first team. I think they also had some academy guys in there as well. So I think he did a really good job getting his squad prepared. I, he, he talked about the depth of this team this year to, uh, to start the year, which is, is you know very important going forward. And they got off to a little bit of a slow start in the first half. I mean, they created a couple chances early, and then it seemed like Hartford kind of um, – prevented them from really doing anything. But in the second half, after Stroud's uh, chip, they really opened up the game. Uh, they looked great going forward. It seemed to really get a confidence boost for them. And then Tom Barlow grabs another goal uh, to add to his total. I mean, he really has 
he really had six, but they're not counting the Birmingham goal right. because the game <laughs> unfortunately uh, got postponed in the weather. But uh, I, I thought they did a really good job. It was good to see Jared uh, get a goal after all the hard work he's put in for the team this year. And I really think, you know, uh, and uh, one thing that really wasn't talked about after that game was the fact they kept a clean sheet. I mean, I know Hartford really hadn't scored a lot of goals this year so far, but even getting a clean sheet is, is a good sign for the, uh, the defense going forward. Yeah. Uh, and now, granted, it was Ryan Mara in net, but I think if Evan Laura was there, you would have seen a similar result. Uh, that, that Stroud chip was hilarious. Uh, because I, once he put it up, I, I was sure it was going over. I asked him after the match about it. He said he, he thought it was going in, but eh, I'm not so sure. <laughs> um, the other thing in that match that I want to touch on, uh, briefly, Edgardo Rito, uh, makes a beautiful run through two defenders, uh, gets to the end line. And we've seen this a lot with, with Red Bull players over, uh, probably the last decade, of guys who get to the end line and then have no idea what to do. And Rito just has this beautiful backheel pass to Derek Etienne uh, to assist his goal. And I was not prepared for it. Uh, I, I give him a ton of credit uh, for seeing the opportunity and for having the uh, the chutzpah to, to pull it off. Yeah, he's been impressive off the. I, I, whenever he's gotten minutes this year, I think he's impressed a good deal going forward. And I think that's something that. Um, maybe Alan Giannis doesn't really offer a lot of going uh, going forward. I think the position, his positioning defensively and everything Giannis does defensively is good. But if, you, if they need someone off the bench to give them a little bit of a spark going forward, I think Rito is that guy this year. See, and you, the funny thing is, if you asked me this a, a week ago, I would tell you that uh, I didn't necessarily think a lot of him going forward. So it could also just be him settling down and kind of getting um, more used to sort of the reps and his responsibilities with the team. But, yeah, definitely some, some good returns from him so far. Yeah, I mean, I, I think both uh, all their fullbacks have, have done a good job, and I think that was a position that we were kind of unsure of going into the season uh, because, you know, with the departures of, um, you know, Ethan Cutler, and we weren't sure if Giannis was going to sign or not. Um, and then, you know, they, we weren't really sure what, this, what, the, um, what they were going to have going forward. And I think uh, – I think – you know, Reese Buckmaster's made some uh, great overlapping runs um, and as far as getting and joining the attack. And I think, you know, despite his size, he's actually shown that, you know, he can, um, you know, he is a quite the uh, quite uh, a workhorse in defense. too. And uh, somewhat interesting uh, talking to Buckmaster and we'll, you'll hear this later on in the podcast. Uh, he was not. Uh, a a fullback until essentially two years ago, so it's a, it's not a dissimilar situation to what we've seen with Cutler uh, and some other guys in the past that have transitioned from spots further up the field uh, to the back. But uh, certainly in terms of quality, I think he's been uh, better than any of those other guys. Uh, let's talk man of the match for that Hartford match. Who you got? I would probably say Jared Stroud. Um, he put it in a ton of work in that game and. His goal opened up the game for them a ton, so I would, I definitely give it to him. And I, believe he had an assist in that too, didn't he? Assist on Tom Barlow's goal. He did, yeah, he did. Yeah. So goal and assist, and um, another really good shift from him. So he really can't. Um, you, I don't think there's really other, any other choice except for him. Yeah, fully agree. Uh, I'm going to give it to Stroud. 
Uh, and then the not so great game of the weekend. It was the first mini Atlantic Cup match between New York Red Bulls 2 and Loudoun United, the DC United affiliate. Um, it seemed like it was going to be a good day. Right out of the gate, uh, Matthias Jorgensen, who was getting his second start with Red Bulls 2, uh, gets down the field, makes a nice uh, run to the near post, redirects the ball in and off the, the goal post, and they're up one nothing inside of five minutes. And, you know, I think I'm not alone <laughs> in thinking that uh, everyone was prepared for a big win uh, over a team that could you know, be a rival down the road. I think actually with Hartford or Loudon, uh, they could be rivals down the road and, uh, uh, not, not quite what we got. Was it? <laughs> no, no. Um, I, I really, the biggest thing that, uh, was a question mark in this game was their set piece defending was not good. Um, for most of the game, I know they hit the crossbar twice off of corners, I believe. Mm-hmm. And then they grabbed the goal from, uh, I think it was their fifth corner in the match. Um, and that was just, I had no idea what, I mean, they let the ball, ball goes over, everybody bounces, and then um, it's just, it, you know, it results in a goal. And then, I mean, I, I don't know. They, I gotta get, I think there's a lot of credit given to Loudon for responding the way they did after the goal. Um, but they, but Rebels too were very sloppy in the first half. And, you know, it, it really didn't seem like it, they ever got going in the first half, and then they come out in the second half. They had so many chances to equalize this game. I mean, Barlow was one-on-one. I also didn't mention that Stroud missed an open goal in the first half. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and and you would have you would have thought that like they would have they probably should have grabbed an equalizer. And you know if they grabbed one, they were more than likely favored to win the game. But then um, you know uh, counter a simple counterattack and a simple cross in the box, and um, Buckmaster's kind of caught a little you know. Um, by a uh, much bigger body on the back yeah. post, and and then they, uh, it, it, which was a nice, it was a nice diving header. But I mean, you know, I think they should be hard done by. I, I think they would feel a little bit hard done, but by the result. But uh, I think I don't think John Wolniak was necessarily happy with how this team performed because yeah, it was their third game in seven days. But he talked about the depth and he felt like his squad was, you know, ready for this game and prepared for this game, and it, they just didn't seem like they ever were going to it it seemed like they were had a plenty of chances but they were never going to take them yeah and look i'm gonna i'm gonna say that i think uh kyle zayats who started midweek and this match uh midweek he did very very well this was a little bit more of a physical match and um you know maybe he wasn't quite up to that challenge there was definitely a lot of sloppiness uh they had trouble moving the ball up the field which is very unusual for this team. We haven't seen that very often. And Loudon, yeah, they absolutely responded. They were very ready uh, to get this, and it was their first win. Uh, you mentioned the Stroud miss. Barlow has a terrible miss in the second half. He has the opportunity to lay it off to Jorgensen and does not. And, you know, I think that was the moment where the game kind of ended for this team because from there they had a couple more opportunities, but it just, they never quite got back to. Uh, that level of play. I think when Barlow first came on, the team responded really well. They woke up. They created a lot of opportunities. And then that miss was just uh, really, really rough. Uh, but also uh, give credit to um, – oh, man. I can't remember his first name. His last name is Brown, uh, the keeper for Loudoun United. I thought he played a, a great match, stood on his head at times, made a lot of great saves. 
And, you know, all in all, if you if you look at the two misses that Red Bull had and the number of shots that Brown saved, this could have been a six to three match. Uh, but just uh, Loudon gets the better of them on the day. Um, what else do I want to mention in this? Oh, uh, uh, Janos Luba gets his first uh, start, gets the assist on the goal. I thought, yeah. um, you know, offensively, he did a lot of really good stuff and got involved in the attack. Defensively, they, yep. I think they targeted him a little bit. And a lot of their attacks and what led to uh, so, several of their corner kick opportunities came from targeting that left side. And then the last bit, which you mentioned um, where they struggled on the set pieces, you know, we've seen in the past where this team struggles with their zonal marking and they were absolutely doing it against Loudon. Loudon approached it perfectly by running at uh, the space and, and found a lot of uh, good opportunities. So, yeah, and not, not the greatest match for, for the team, but I think they're definitely learning some very strong lessons uh, from the way that it all played out. Yeah, I mean, listen, a lot of these guys, you know, are, are new to the team. I mean, we've seen, I think, like you mentioned with Giannis uh, Lube, I thought he had a uh, good, I thought he was very good going forward. But like you said, they really targeted him in that first half. And, you know, I, I thought in the second half he actually performed better. Uh, I think, he, you know, he settled down a little bit and did a good job. But uh, they a lot of their opportunities came, they really didn't go after Buckmaster's side until literally that crossed on the third goal. Um, came to where Buckmaster was supposed to be defending, but I the center back for the most part, except for the the set pieces. I thought you know uh, I thought Jordan Scarlett's distribution in the match was. I mean, he made some really nice passes from the back. Uh, yeah. But like you mentioned, uh, I really think they missed Chris Lima in this game because they missed that guy in the deep midfield that could get the ball to Stroud and who could get the ball to, and he could get the ball to the forwards as well because. John Christoph Kofi had his moments in this game where he was impressive, and then he had his moments where he was caught in possession. And then, uh, I mean, he continues to you get a little bit of, be- of you know some good and some bad from him. I don't really think he's settled in yet. Yeah, and I I could see that. I think in the attack he did pretty well, especially the opening goal kind of develops from a moment where he, Kofi's running at the defense. And he just holds on to the ball for a second, waiting for his man to step to him. And as soon as he does, he dished off to Janos uh, uh, Luba, who was making the run down the left side. Um, he also made the, I think it was, I forget which chance it was. I think Brown made a really good save on this one, too. I think it was to Luba where he actually, I think it was a crossfield yes. pass where he, he spotted it. I spotted him on the back post. That pass was great, too. Yeah, um, agreed. But... Yeah, but I mean, there there was just some moments that, you know, uh, where I, you know, you, you get a little nervous watching him because he doesn't he doesn't realize him and Zayat didn't realize there was you know they pressed him from behind and got on their backs and they were lucky to not be caught in possession a couple of times a few times in that game. Yeah, fully agree. Uh, the last thing I want to mention from this uh, during the match, I think it kind of came directly after the the, the Barlow miss. Uh, as Barlow's running up, he has the opportunity to pass it off to uh, Matthias Jorgensen. Um, uh, and we mentioned him earlier, but congrats on getting your first goal, Matthias. Uh, but from that point, there seemed to be a change in, in Jorgensen, and uh, it wasn't that good. He seemed to be maybe even getting into it a little bit with his teammates. And after the match, 
Um, I, obviously, I have no idea what the content of the conversation was because I was not over there uh, talking uh, to them. But I, John Wolinek and Jorgensen had a long conversation um, after or outside the locker room. Uh, and it looked animated, didn't necessarily look angry, but it, it was a long conversation where uh, I've never really seen uh, Wolinek have talks like that with guys after the match. And it definitely stood out. Now I would li- I would like to have been a fly on the wall to hear what was going on, uh, but something tells me it had to do with with the way that the match finished up because it definitely seemed like Jorgensen got into it a little bit with his teammates and maybe even drifted out of the game uh, somewhat. Not necessarily saying like he gave up or something, but uh, something changed in the match after that miss. Yeah, I mean, and the thing is, he made a lot of um, good runs in this match that I think his teammates didn't spot his runs or couldn't get the ball to him. And there was some frustration, but I mean, you, you have to be able to finish the match. I mean, there was, um, there was definitely some, um, some moments where like they could have used him in the attack and he didn't seem interested or, you know, their frustration boiled over. But, uh, I, I was, I thought he and, um, D'Souza actually worked pretty well because Jorgensen made the runs and D'Souza kind of played behind him. Um, but yeah, after after that Barlow miss, you like you said, he seemed really not into the game. Yeah, and I I'll get to Amarillo in a minute, but um, with with um, Jorgensen, I think you know I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. He's 18 years old. Uh, he certainly didn't expect to be playing with Red Bull too. So I think there's maybe even a little bit of frustration there, uh, depending on where he is in the system and and fitness and um, how sharp he is. Uh, but also, you know, the, uh, hopefully he uses this as a, a good learning opportunity. And Amarildo, I thought, you know, he played underneath okay, but one of the things I really liked from him in the preseason was how well he pressed and just made a nuisance of himself, and we haven't really seen that from him at the USL level yet, and I would like to see more of it. Um, who's your man of the match for this one? Uh, man, <laughs> if I had to pick one... Um... I think Giannis Loeb deserves uh, consideration. I thought he, he a lot of the chances going forward developed from his side, so I'll, I'll give him a shout. Okay. Uh, I'll agree with that. I'll give it to him. Um, even though uh, he was on uh, the receiving end of a lot of, uh, of dangerous attacks, you, when he went forward, he looked pretty good. Uh, okay. We're going to take a break now. When we come back, uh, you're going to get to listen to my interview with Reese Buckmaster. So stick around. back we are joined now by first year defender and i would say probably best name on the team it's reese buckmaster reese thanks for joining us thanks for having me i appreciate it do you get uh, uh teased about your name at all yeah of course a lot of people you know <laughs> talk about my name it's like a big talking point so i mean it's I've... not really teasing they're just they're just saying some things about it but it's all good do you get any like has there been a good nickname or is that is the name so good that it really defies a nickname? I mean, they, like, with this team, 
my however long I've been here, two or three months, I've heard more nicknames than I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, tell tell me a little bit about you know the, the start of your playing days. How old were you when you first started kicking a soccer ball? Um, honestly, I my mom just showed me a picture of my like my first pair of cleats that she kept, and they were probably they were super small. I don't know what size they were, so I couldn't tell you. But I honestly think she told me I started playing when I was probably three or four. And then ever since then, I've always played soccer. And you, I, I assume you started rec and then moved to travel. Did you play with any academy teams? Uh, I played with the Indiana Fire Academy in like Westfield, Indiana. And uh, how many years were you there? Uh, all four, like all through high school, I was there. Uh, and uh, well, then obviously that's how you ended up at the University of Indiana. Did any of the um, yeah. The, the coaching staff have, like, any overlap or any common elements? Um, not my academy coach played at IU, but um, not really. I just I grew up always wanting to go to Indiana. That was, like, my dream school to just play there. And, yeah, that's, that's how it all started. I just really wanted to go, like, showcase Indiana University as, like, my – since I'm from Indiana, just always wanted to stay close to home and play for – my dream school. What what made it your dream school? Uh, just like the tradition there. It's like the big, big soccer school. And, you know, I just always wanted to stay close to home so my parents could come watch me play and stuff. And while you were there, uh, t- walk us through some of your favorite moments uh, and things that happened. Um. Well, my first two years was like a little struggle. I mean, it wasn't really a struggle. I just didn't really play that much. I just had to earn my time. So that was like, that was hard for me because playing in like the academy, I grew up um, always playing in the midfield too, which was like a big shock to me because I always played like the 10 or the 8. And then transforming like my junior and senior year, I played right back, which was like a brand new position for me. I really only played it a spring before I jumped right into the fall playing my junior year, which is crazy. But um, obviously the last two years we had my junior and senior year, we, we made pretty good runs in the NCAA tournament. And then the last year winning the Big Ten tournament and the Big Ten uh, regular season, which is pretty awesome. And then two Final Fours, which were great. And what, Just coming this, up a little bit short. Yeah, of course. But other than that, they were they were really awesome four years. What facilitated that that switch to right back? Was it strictly to get time on the field, or was it something that maybe uh, a coach was was watching your game and thought uh, it might be a good place to put you? Yeah, that's that's what it was. Honestly, just towards like the end of my sophomore year, like the midfield we had was I wasn't really going to find much time in there and then the right back was leaving and um head coach just was like you're one of the best defenders playing the six so i think we're going to try you out at right back because it's fast and you'll um, you'll quickly pick up that position and then he's like this is the position you, you're going to make it at the next level so might as well get you started now so that was kind of awesome that i he put me there and then it, it actually worked out 
And Dor, I guess so. He's talking about you as a pro at that point. Was that yeah? Was that maybe always in the plans for you, or was that uh, the first time you really started thinking about it? Um, I mean, I've always, I my dream was always to be a professional soccer player. So I've always wanted to have that. But I mean, the way my first two years went, I didn't really think I was gonna make it that far. But then once I switched and started playing and everybody just believing in me and my family and everything. I just, you know, it just clicked. So I was positive. And heading into the draft, uh, what, what were your thoughts? Did you, did you expect to be uh, drafted as high? You were what? 32. Is that correct? Uh, yeah. So did you, did you expect to be uh, drafted so high? Um, I mean, honestly, I thought I had a pretty good combine. But I mean, obviously, you have no idea what the team, like what teams need, where you think you're going to end up. So I mean, I, I mean, I couldn't tell you where I was going to get drafted or when, but just glad I did get drafted by such a great organization, you know. And what what was the moment like when you found out? Um, just joy, because I'm mean, sitting there in the like the waiting room. It's pretty stressful just waiting to hear your name. And then once it gets once it gets called, it just it just brought so much joy to my mom and my dad that were sitting there, and then to me getting to walk up on stage and get my jersey and my picture and take it and everything, and then talking to the press was just a dream come true. I can imagine that that's really stressful <laughs> sitting around, yeah. basically waiting to see if someone's going to hire you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> were you talking to any other athletes? Um. I, yeah. So I, I we had like a. A lot of guys go uh, pro for my team last year. We had, like, I think 10 out of the 11 starters all went pro. Or they all left, and most of them went pro. And, I, I mean, I talked to Grant Willard. He's at the fire. I talked to him, like, a lot the past two years. And then just, like, my teammates, like, Andrew Gilman, he signed with Celtic. And a lot of guys just signed, like, USL. And I've always just been talking to them, just keeping up and keeping in touch with all of them. So I'm, I'm, you did not travel to Charlotte, right? Or were you in that match? There was too many games last yeah, week. <laughs> yeah, so you got to I see played. Goodman. How was that? Yep. It was cool. We got to play against each other, which was really awesome. That's good. And, I mean, I growing up, I, was, I mean, I played right back. So I was go, he's, he's a left back. I was going to go up against him. But I, I played left back that night. So <laughs> I didn't get to go up against him, which would have been a fun matchup. But. It was still good to see him and talk to him and after the game and stuff. We got it. We like switched jerseys, so I got his jersey and he got mine. So it was pretty cool. Going going to preseason with this club, what was that like? And I mean, obviously, you have the experience of you know coming in fresh with a with a group of guys for the year, but obviously, it's a little bit different at the pro level. Yeah, it was. I mean, when we went to Florida, it was a big change for me. Like just the pace was so much faster and the guys are a lot better and things like that so it was a big change for me but you said i adapt quickly and get used to it and get up to pace with everybody so but it was a good learning experience and then going to arizona like the same thing just getting to know all the guys like personally just just a great group of guys and then on the field just learning from the best and day one you came and uh, you came out of the the gates starting um, which I, I think when you look at 
uh, the personnel of the group, it, it's not a big um, a surprise necessarily because I think you stood out in preseason. Uh, but what was that feeling like for you? Uh, like you said, I'm sure, you know, getting to play your first professional game and getting a start is something I'll always remember. And what this team, you know, just playing every game with them is been a dream come true and just excited for the rest of the season see where we end up and this week you guys are coming up against indy 11 it's probably uh in terms of maybe a preseason expectations one of the most difficult opponents that you guys faced so far mm-hmm. uh what's the conversation been like so far this week in terms of how you're going to tackle that game well we haven't really scouted them yet so i think we're doing that i think friday so we'll know more but we expect John expects us to watch film on them and everything, so I was going to plan on attacking that tonight after the phone call. So I haven't really got to look into them much, but I know um, I know a couple guys on that team, so I know how they play, and I know the coaching staff pretty well. Because uh, like one of the assistant coaches is actually my academy coach at Indiana Fire, so I know sort of how they'll play. So it'll be interesting to see them. That is really interesting. Did not know that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, before we let you go, we're going to subject you to the lightning round. Uh, many have right. faced it, and pretty much everyone has passed. <laughs> <laughs> Are you ready? Yes. Okay. Popcorn, yes or no? Yes. Love popcorn. Star Wars or Star Trek? Uh, Star Wars? Never really seen Star Trek. Okay, fair enough. Marvel or DC? <laughs> Um, probably DC. Super Mario or Sonic the Hedgehog? Ooh, Mario. I was a big Mario fan growing up, so <laughs> gotta go with Mario. Who is your favorite team to play in or play as in FIFA? Um, favorite team probably be uh, Tottenham. Okay, That's my overall favorite team too. Oh, boo! <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, I don't hate the Spurs. Uh, and I call this one the, the Derek Etienne Award. We're going to give this to uh, whoever gets the most votes by the end of the season. Who is the worst dancer on the Red Bull 2 team? Um, worst dancer? Probably me. I can't dance. I can't, <laughs> sing. I can't really do anything. So I would go with myself, honestly. A, a, uh, a very humble answer. I like it, Reese. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, that, thank you so much for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure and, uh, we wish you nothing but the best this weekend. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Get to watching that game film. And, uh, for the rest of you, when we come back, we're going to preview that game with Brian cook. So stick around. And we're back with our final segment. We're going to be previewing the match against Indy 11. We've got Brian Cook with us, but first I'm going to do our rundown of the team. Indy 11 is 4-1-0 on the year. They won against Bethlehem Steel, Swope Park Rangers, Hartford, and Charlotte, many teams that we're also familiar with. Their lone loss of the season, uh, that opening match against St. Louis, who is surprising USL, uh, understandably. This is a talented team, guys. Their their goals leader, Dane Kelly, uh, who you guys might remember, is one of the best uh, West Coast goal scorers from last season. And Nebula Hackshaw 
and Thomas Enavoldson uh, each have two. And then leading on the assist, Kenny Walker, formerly of FCC. Uh, Brian, this team is super stacked. I think they are set up for a good run this season. Walk us through how everything's going so far. Uh, you know, when the season started, and uh, first of all, it was it was a weird transformation going from 2018 to 2019, because obviously the 2018 and the 11 team, uh, the way it was built, it was kind of like throwing as many things into a shopping cart and getting out of the store <laughs> as quickly as possible. Supermarket so, sweep. 2019 was a slight adjustment for both the team and fans because instead of watching a team get built in about, I don't know, three weeks, you actually got to see signings that made sense. And um, I'll be the first to admit, uh, anybody that followed me on Twitter uh, knew that when Involdson and Dane Kelly got signed, uh, my first thought was, oh, man, those expectations are going to go straight <laughs> up in the air. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so it's it's gone really well. This team this team is growing, and I think the biggest thing that it has benefited them is that they have had a lot of success, but they have they have grown over time, and I think that's going to be the theme for 2019. I mean, they have a ton of talent in this squad, and I think just from last year to this year, when you watch the games, they're. And this isn't a slight necessarily on last year's team, but I think overall there's a lot more fluidity in the attack. Uh, having so many dangerous weapons is obviously a big plus. They've been very good on set pieces this year. And just overall, I think uh, just in terms of pure entertainment value, they are uh, far exceeding what they did last year. How do you feel that they're living up to the expectations they set forth uh, starting the season with so many, you know, big pieces. Well, the biggest thing that kind of made, and it started in the preseason, but the biggest thing that made me nervous right initially was the formation, uh, because I'm, I'm, I've never been a coach. I'll probably never be in that kind of line of work. Um, hopefully that seems real, real shaky and nerve wracking. Um, uh, <laughs> But I'm very much a traditionalist with how I see tactics, and that kind of centers back on a four at the back system. So when the preseason started this year and you saw Indy deploy a 3-4-3, whatever combination of forwards up top, I was like, oh. And I got told – I've been told by a couple people that the three at the back system was actually something that Martin Rennie wanted to deploy – last year but between injuries and just generally not having the personnel to do that he wasn't able to do that um so it's it's been interesting to watch because you go back to that st louis game and even even in a short amount of time between you know the st louis game even just to the hartford game you know, the team's starting to play with more fluidity, like you had mentioned. And I think that's honestly the biggest thing that they have to work with in order to succeed is to use the pace that they have on both ends of the field. 
um, and just kind of learn to trust each other, which I think over time is going to be what honestly causes them and gives them the most amount of success too. So to answer your question, I think they're starting <laughs> to meet those expectations. I think at the beginning, everybody was like, oh, let's see how this works out. But I think they're starting to uh, meet those expectations. I will tell you, having watched that St. Louis game, uh, you know, my first thoughts were they've spent too much time worrying about how they were going to attack and their defense isn't quite up to it. Because, you know, there was a little bit of trouble clearing balls. They got caught kind of in scrambles, which I didn't necessarily think. um, I don't think that they necessarily painted the picture of the match, but, you know, it was just them kind of getting caught. Since then, they've been a little bit, I think, more responsible in terms of, of not... Uh, getting caught in those kinds of ways. My scouting on them, uh, obviously I mentioned the danger on set piece uh, opportunities. They've got a ton of speed in the counterattack uh, when they need to. And one of the things I notice a lot as they're uh, in those kinds of, you know, two or three headed runs, they've, they've been lofting the ball, kind of uh, switching fields as they get into the box uh, and creating a lot of danger that way. You think that's fair? What what am I missing from the scouting attack? Well, for me, because I, I went back recently. I say recently, it's whatever day. But I, I went back and watched that SEAL game. And when you go back and watch, um, and actually the best tool that I've had looking back statistic-wise was actually the FootMob app, which has kind of turned into my new like second screen app. Um, just because it's it's given me a lot more insight than I didn't have before. And one of the big statistics, like you had mentioned, uh, that I noticed was uh, the long balls, mm-hmm. uh, which uh, even when you go back to for Indy 11, when you go back to like 2015 and 2016, the NASL teams, that was always the biggest critique that most fans had was they hated the long balls. But for this team... And I never thought Indy 11 would end up being this team just because even even way looking back like 2015, 2016, I never envisioned a team that would be so centered around a counterattack. Um, but especially this past week, you saw guys like Tyler Pasher and Dane Kelly and, and Bolton get forward so quickly. This team relies on both counterattacks and that long ball to just punish defenses whenever they can break down and get a little bit of space. So I think when you look at the attack wise counter, if you can shut down their counterattack and you, you keep Dane Kelly from getting any sort of confidence, which at this point is pretty difficult because (laughs) he's getting, he's getting real confident, which Martin Rooney had said, uh, I think even go back to the Hartford game, he said that's the only thing Kelly's missed was he hasn't had that confidence. But on the defensive side, Indy 11 almost as good as they are with the counterattack, they're almost as bad defending against a counterattack. I think uh, I, I don't have the proof for it, but when I go back and look at some of the goals they conceded back to even the St. Louis game, um, some of the goals they conceded, were primarily based on teams that were not even outpacing them, but were rushing them back to the point where, you know, and it's kind of the issue with the three at the back system. They were rushing them back where, you know, players didn't know where they needed to stand. It was kind of like, what is it, Ricky Bobby? 
not knowing what to do with your hands. Right. They get back defensively and they're like, huh, uh, where am I going? What am I doing? And that's kind of how teams have to, uh, and the teams have scored against Indy this year is been able to just disrupt them defensively because not only do they have to rely on those three guys to get back, but then do you trust Iose to drop back? Like which one of the wingers do you drop back to, you know, get that four at the back structure? So defensively, when you scout Indy, that as good as they are with attacking with a counterattack, they are really, really bad at defending a good counterattack. Okay, I think that's pretty fair. And uh, going back to the Dane Kelly confidence thing, I mean, Swope Park <laughs> did the, the easiest um, confidence boost that they could possibly do for Kelly and just, you know, let him walk it into the goal. <laughs> I, you know, it's weird, too, because I look back at the Swamp Park game and then I look back at the Hartford game. And as weird as it sounds... Hartford, to me, was more of a trap game than the Swamp Park Rangers game just because Hartford tactically could still set up and and statistically looked like a team that could still end up hurting even an Indy 11 that had, you know, is growing and getting much more success. But that Swamp Park game was, I was like, oh, this isn't even fair. (laughs) I'm like, this is like, this is fun for me as a fan to watch and stuff. But I'm like, this is, I feel bad. Yeah, I can understand that. And and I mentioned this on the show last week with Hartford that their attack, I mean, they are capable of creating opportunities, but they just don't finish. They, they, I think they've already outshot uh, the Red Bulls, which is really unusual because the Red Bulls take so many shots per season. It's ridiculous. <laughs> Joe, I'm hogging everything. I'm sorry. Justine, get some questions in. <laughs> um, so you've talked about how great they are on the counter and how, how much speed they have going forward. Would you compare this to maybe a team like Louisville City last year where they were very quick and able with Lancaster and Speedy Williams and how dangerous they were going forward? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that's that's probably a fair comparison. I hate I hate going back and trying to compare teams to other teams because I feel like there's never soccer is a weird sport because I really don't know if you get a fair one to one comparison as much as you might get in a different sport. But yeah, and I mean the the interesting thing to me is w- at, during the preseason when you saw. Um, Elijah or Illich uh, get signed from Louisville City and you saw Dan Kelly come in, you kind of saw what would be lined up um, or what tactically in the forwards would get lined up. But honestly, the, the this past week, and I don't know if going forward it will be what happens. I don't know if it was primarily rotation-based. But Tyler Pasher to me, has been even, – even when you look at a Dane Kelly who scored three goals and had an assist in two games last week, Tyler Pasher played out of his mind. Um, the guy's coming off of a neck injury last year that kept him out most of uh, – I, I think most of the second half of the season. So to me, it's just – it's nice to see attacking-wise the depth that they can have. Even, even on paper, it saw the depth to know that you aren't relying on the people you solely signed to do the attacking and you can slot in a Tyler Pasher next to Dane Kelly. And at times, Tyler Pasher is outpacing Dane Kelly. And you've talk, we've all know about like 
the big names and everything. Um, who is one player that you think is not talked about enough on, as far as the team goes for what he does? Um, well, like I said, um, I think uh, I, I think the two people, because on paper you look at the guys that are scoring goals, and I feel like they probably get a majority of um, – uh, the the publicity. I think the three players for me, because of course I can't listen and I have I have to uh, uh, disobey the rules and I can't just choose one. But three players to me that have really impressed me that I didn't expect this from. Um, Tyler Pasher, like I said, um, he obviously coming off of a neck injury, being able to last week just slot in uh, and you know play a role. He's traditionally a winger. Um, and he did really, really well in that wing position last year. But I, I've just been really impressed because he's almost kind of played a false nine where at times he almost dropped back to the midfield where he almost added like a fifth midfielder. Uh, Eugene Starkoff, even though he didn't really play last week, uh, was a guy that when I saw in Olsen and Dane Kelly on game, uh at the beginning of the season, I said they need a playmaker that's underneath there that can create for both of them. Even though Involtson's got the ability to create, um, you obviously signed the second place gold boot uh, participant last year in the league's all-time goal scorer with the intent of both of them scoring goals. So you kind of need that that playmaker. I feel like Starkov should do that and has done that. Uh, the other guys, I almost feel bad just because I didn't know a whole lot about him, or at least I didn't scout him that much. This is, but Akshaw has been a blessing for this team uh, with set pieces. And I didn't think that they would have such a good piece to use for set pieces. But even the set piece that he scored against the uh, Bethlehem Steel this past weekend, it wasn't his like a header or anything. It was just you don't expect a defender to have an eye for goal, but the guy just is very good at making sure he's in a position to threaten the attack, uh, even though that's not traditionally his responsibility. So those three guys have been the three people that I've been impressed with and I think should probably get more publicity. You heard it here first. Brian, you've been on the show before? Is this your first time? Sorry? Have you been on the show before? I feel like you have, but maybe it's not true. I don't think I have. Oh, then we have to do the lightning round with you. But before we do it, uh, let's get a prediction for, for this weekend's game. Oh, sore prediction. Um, you know, I, I tend to do, when I actually have to do sore predictions, I tend to be pretty conservative just because I never know what's going to really happen. Um, and of course, Indy didn't make that really easy for me last week because now I got all these high expectations in my head. Um, I I still think defensively this team has a lot to uh, learn, a lot to so I can easily see this being wrong. Um, I I'm stuck between like a one-one or a two-two because I feel like there there will be goals. Um, I think it's really gonna. For Indy, winning the game is just going to really depend defensively because at this point, you're not worried about their attack if you're in the You're kind of worried about their defensive 
ability because it's kind of like watching six guys walk through the same door at once. So uh, you just if they can stay consistent and square up defensively, I think this team has a chance of winning. But I I, I tend to stay conservative, so we'll go with like a one-one draw. Okay, Joe, what's what's your prediction? Um, I'm gonna go with a two-two draw. Okay, yeah, I actually I was thinking that exact same scoreline. I'm going to say it's 2-2 draw. We all say draw, so obviously it will be a lopsided loss in, in one direction or the other. <laughs> uh, likely. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, the lightning round. Are you ready? <laughs> I'm excited. Okay, popcorn, yes or no? Yes. Marvel or DC? Ooh, see, I'm a big Batman guy. I've got a. I'm. I'm not ashamed to say I have a Batman mask and a Batman onesie, but I, I gotta. I. I feel like I'll get shamed if I don't say Marvel. Though now that I'm looking at it, I have a Superman thing right next to my desk in my office, so I'm not even sure how to feel. But I'll go with Marvel. Oh man, Schuster and Bob Kane are just. They're so upset right now. <laughs> Adorned with the DC and calling for Marvel. Uh, Star Wars or Star Trek? Ooh, weird thing. I have a Star Trek board game that I got when I was like, I think I was in college, but it was a board game I played with my cousin. You guys really don't need to hear these stories, <laughs> but I'm mainly a Star Wars guy. Okay. Favorite team to play in FIFA as? Oh, that's a good one. Um, I think it's it's a cheap answer. Um, weirdly, I have two. It's Man United just because uh, I hate uh, being fair to my friends when I play them in FIFA. Um, but also, uh, weirdly, I enjoy playing as the U.S. men's national team. Okay. Because um, it's just okay. fun. I mean, look, if you play with the lineups that are coming out now, that's certainly a lot more fun than <laughs> last year. <laughs> <laughs> All right, last but not least, you were on death row. What is your final meal? Oh, mm. oh that's tough. You know, it's going to be ironic because I'll, I'll probably die one day from heart issues. So I'll just say a very large-sized Baconator from Wendy's. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, I, I don't know what it is. I have, like, whenever my wife and I, <laughs> neither of us want to cook, uh, she'll be coming home from work and she'll call me and she'll go, hey, what do you want for dinner? Yada, yada, yada. And that's usually my go-to. I don't know what it is. I think they probably <laughs> put some drug in there or something. But, uh, uh, no, it's just good. But, yeah, probably that or a giant steak. Something that's probably going to kill me one day. I, I have quoted this line from Malcolm in the Middle more than once. Fats and oils are the vehicles upon which flavor travels. That's yeah. <laughs> Brian, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. It was a honor, and I appreciate it. That was a tremendous amount of knowledge from Brian Cook. Great to have him on the show, as always. Uh, we've got one question today. Uh, it comes from Ben Mines Stan, appropriately. Uh, he's looking for an injury <laughs> update on Ben Mines. And uh, I was also wondering about this. Uh, word is he is practicing and available. Um, but remember, he's an MLS squad player. So even if he was injured, we wouldn't necessarily see him on the USL uh, injury list. 
but apparently he's not. He's just not making the game day squad right now. Uh, and, you know, RB2 has had uh, Andy Ivan, Derek Etienne, and Marcus Epps kind of rotating in and out. Jared Stroud's been playing on the left and in the middle. So it's tough right now, I think, for a guy like Mines who uh, is not above any of those other guys in terms of uh, a depth chart. So it's just, I think, still being patient with young Ben Mines. Despite his breakout uh, performance last season, he still is a young guy that needs a lot of time to develop. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, you know, they, they've kind of been bringing down a lot of guys, and that's kind of cut into his playing time and making the squad because, you know, John can only choose so many guys. But I think I, I don't see there's a I don't see a reason to rush him back yet either because, um, you know, he has had a couple injuries in the past that have, you know, kind of – and, you know, ended uh, – well, he had one last year that kind of ended his season basically. So – um, I think they also maybe want to make sure he's fully fit before they uh, they get him back out there. Oh, very, very true. And uh, Ben tends to get targeted by other teams. He's, he's sort of a little guy, and he's tricky and a pain in the butt uh, to defend against. So I think uh, they play him pretty physically, and he usually works out. But Ben comes off worse for the wear. Uh, that brings us that. <laughs> That brings us to the end of another episode of Raising Bulls. If you want to follow us, I'm at underscore Joe Goldstein. I am at JSteen15. And if you'd like to follow the show, and we hope you do, we are at Raising Bull Cast. That's one bull, Raising Bull Cast. And, of course, that's on Twitter. You can follow uh, Joe's work and my work at Red Bulls News Network at rbnn.us and rbnewsnetwork on Twitter. You can find the show on RaisingBulls.com, where we put all of our episodes. You can even send questions there to questions at RaisingBulls.com. The show is on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. We're there. And if we're not, let us know, and we will work on getting on that platform. Of course, we're part of the beautiful game network at BGN.FM. They cover MLS, USL, Premier League. NWSL and they have a ton of great shows I'm just going through the USL shows guys there's too many to, to tell them all uh, Sock Takes which is in D11 uh, the other football podcast for Las Vegas 901 Soccer Pod Speedway Soccer the Curse Cast Six Point Weekend Off Pitch Podcast Orange and Black Soccer Cast and Rising as One Joe that last one where do you think what do you think they're talking about on Rising as One uh, how good Junior Fleming is playing out there. There you go. That's not what I expected you to say, but okay. I was just teasing about uh, what, what team. But yes, Junior Fleming's great <laughs> week from him. Two goals and assists and nice goals uh, while we're at it. Uh, last but not least, I want to thank our sponsor, Golden Goal Press, the best choice for you to get custom shirts, hats, mugs, and other items for just yourself or your organization. Check out their amazing products at a fraction of the price of other places at goldengoalpress.com. And we'd like to thank our sponsor, Roughneck Scarves, the official scarf supplier of MLS, USL, and US Soccer. Get custom scarves for your group or team at roughneckscarves.com. For myself, Reese Buckmaster... Brian Cook and Joe Steen, thank you very much and have a great night. Does it sound coming up there? Yeah, I think so.